Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to episode number 14. Join us, won't you, as we celebrate those poor men of science who foolishly push up their sleeves, harness the power of lightning, and say, let's make a girl. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing good dead for I want to kill the undead. So so you ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Roll the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! third? No. Standard? So Southern's a bit of a cheat for you. Yeah, I guess. Because really, I guess you could say my, my real parlor trick is doing a non-regional dialect because I grew up doing a Southern accent by just being a Southerner. I cannot even tell you what my local accent is like. I know it exists and I know when I hear it. Really? But I can't. Is it like when you said, well, uh, what was? I said Wooder. Wooder. That's part That's of its building it. blocks. Yeah. yeah. So Kat. Yeah, Marshall. What have you been up to? Well, you know some of what I've been up to because we've been doing some things together. Field um, trips. Field trips. I went back to our old friend, the Jump Cut, we've talked about before. The Jump Cut Cafe. The Jump Cut Cafe in Studio City uh, for a horror, a short horror film screening. So I got to see several shorts and that was a lot of fun. I didn't go to that because I was playing laser tag. No. At like a birthday where we were encouraged to dress up as characters from The Walking Dead. Wow, everyone's zombies. Well, maybe well, no, not there everyone. was there was like one zombie. Turns out nobody wants to be the zombie. Everyone wants to be like the zombie survivor. I'd want to be a zombie. The the one zombie was a girl. Uh huh. Who then strapped into it like a laser tag outfit. Yep. So, but you and I then the next the following weekend went to see. A film screening, it's a series they're doing monthly called Secret 16, mm-hmm. where this guy, I think it's Mike Williamson every every month who runs it. He's a writer-director, and he somehow obtains these 16 millimeters kind of obscure lost horror films. Lost in different senses, but the one we saw was called Disconnected. It was from 1983. It was yeah. never released on DVD, only released on VHS. Um, well, part of the way the evenings are run is you don't know what he's going to show. Yep. Until he shows it. Hits like, he, he doesn't even give an introduction. No. He's not like, okay, now I reveal it. He just turns the projector on. Just turns it on. And, and that's how you know what you're going to watch. Yeah, which was really fun. And, and um, one of the highlights that I didn't expect was we got to see some horror trailers. Yes. Um, which was so, like, seeing a trailer for Jaws on 16mm. There's something about sitting in a darkened room with the, the like, the sound of a projector running. It was so magical and fun, and I liked the movie. It was like 80s camp, and plus, like, weirdly approaching art house. Yeah. Kind of, like, with it's this in that sweet super spot. weird, ambiguous ending, and you know, everybody was kind of, huh? But it was a lot of fun. I never would have seen that, literally never would have seen that movie otherwise. So, good times. Yeah, I enjoyed myself. I will not be getting the uh, chili next time I go. Oh. Because it's hard to eat in the dark. But the chili was good, though. Good right? chili okay. to eat in the light. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the fun horror-related stuff I've been up to. All right. I know you had strep throat for I a little did. bit. I did. I want to preface my story with that because it's why I didn't call you. Oh. While you had strep throat, yeah. 
I saw an ad just popped up on the side of my Facebook. It was said like, "Come see Lords of Salem at the you know local AMC." Oh, and I was like, "Oh, it's an ad for Lords of Salem." And then it says, "Introduced by Rob Zombie." What? Like for no more effort than just going to see a movie. Yeah, at my you local get, theater. Right. I get an introduction by Mr. Rob, Mr. Zombie. That's incredible. And then it said a Q and A to follow, which I'm not a big fan of Q and A's because sure. the Q's are never that good. Nope. And the A's. If somebody's promoting something, they're answering the same question. They've answered it a thousand times. Oh, right. And then if someone is doing a retrospective, they've probably also answered that question a thousand times, but maybe not that day. Yeah. So those are a little nicer. Yeah. What it was, was a friends and family screening, which I am neither, but I could just go up to the box office and buy a ticket. Wow. Lots of people who were involved with making the movie and like sort of peripheral people to the zombie circle were there and you knew who might come because they had their names on seats oh my goodness reserved for was... them michael berryman was there he is the bald guy from the hills have eyes oh he's, he's in like a whole lot of stuff Whoa. and he's one of those celebrities who can't not look like himself no kidding it, it's like the the time i was on an airplane with weird al yankovic whoa and really he couldn't not look like weird al bless his heart unless he wants to cut that weird hair of his or yeah. not wear Hawaiian shirts for a change because because <laughs> that's Weird Al. He did nothing to not look like Weird Al. Yeah, I love him so much. Um, then the the Q and A was like hosted by AMC TV because it was at an AMC, mm -hmm. and they just asked the questions that like Rob Zombie had been answering all day as part of like a press junket. So he was his usual sort of heavy metal grump. Yeah, but tempered by the cheerful Sherry Moon. Yeah. And other cast members, which were there, the the lady, the witches yeah. of the Lords of Salem, were all just delightful and energetic, and you, you can see where their longevity in their careers have come from. Uh -huh. That energy's like still firing. That's so fun. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Rob Zombie, I happen to be just tuning the dial through Sirius Radio. And I came to um, the Howard Stern station, which... Anyway, I, the reason I stopped is because I heard what I thought was a familiar voice. It was Rob Zombie. Being interviewed on Howard Stern, which actually the two of them together were really fun. And what Howard did, just, I love, apparently they're kind of friends. Howard really likes the Munsters, not quite nearly as much as Rob Zombie. I don't think anybody does. But they've gotten together and watched episodes, um, huh. like in each of their, their home theaters, which I think is Would really like cute. be a fly on the wall for that. So Howard did a quiz for Rob Zombie. Munsters quiz? Uh-huh. And they got increasingly more obscure, the questions, and he got every single one right. And uh, he killed it. I mean, just killed it. And he was like, I thought the questions were going to be harder. And they were really good questions, which I thought was just adorable. I mean, he's so, um, the content he puts out can be really vile at yeah. times. But like, he's really, you know, he just, he's such a fan. He loves, yeah. you know, he well, loves spooky. If I'm not a fan of, you know, all of his work, you know, some of his movies, some of his music. Sure. I like him. I think that he is, as horror movie fans go... Sort of the first among us. Absolutely. Did you see the MTV Cribs with his? Yeah, I watched it online oh recently. Oh my gosh. His house is like Candyland for me. It's really fun. Mon mari, c'est Frankenstein. Mon mari, c'est Frankenstein. Il a tout d'un croque-mitaine. Et tel qu'il est, moi je l'aime. Oh, oui, mon mari. Everybody, I'm Marshall Hicks. And I'm Kat Knipe. And in this episode of Boys and Ghouls, uh, Kat, I'm going to need a little help on this one. How would we best sum up what our topic is? I'd say 
I got a good title. Yeah, the title explains it all, really. Let's make a girl. I mean, you know, I guess we're going to discuss horror films and other maybe teen sci-fi fantasy films. Weird <laughs> science is really what there you're saying. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Just films about women who are created through one form or another, whether it's piecing together dead body parts or computering it into existence. This women. is all really long. Is yeah. there any way we, we, we can just like distill this down uh, into like five words or something? Men who create women? Yes. Movies about men who create women. Because they are all men. There's no women creating women movies. You just said a mouthful, Marshall. Okay. Men who create women and the women who are created. There you go. Well, you've got the gist, people. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Kat and I figured out what our topic would be, and then we both went our own ways and watched different movies. And now we're back together to uh, talk about what we found. Yep. I do want to talk briefly about the history of... The Frankenstein story because I love it so much and it's so cool. I think it's pretty interesting and pretty telling that the story of Frankenstein came from a lady, right? We all know that. Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley. Wife of Lord Byron Shelley. No, wife of Percy Shelley. Lord Byron was present. This is what I'm... I'm glad you look up the facts. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Well, I was also an English lit major in college, so, uh, you know. I read quite a bit of the English romantic poetry. But what excites me about the creation of the Frankenstein story itself, there was a volcano in 1815. Okay. In Indonesia. And it kind of incited some global climate change at the time. The temperature dropped all over the place. Wow. Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley... And Lord Byron and another person who always seems to get lost in this, John Polidori. I don't know why he gets lost in the stories, probably because he's not as well known, although he did write the first modern vampire story. But the four of them were traveling. They were at Lake Geneva in Switzerland. It was dark and stormy all the time. They amused themselves by reading scary stories to each other from books. And then they decided to come up with scary stories of their own to tell each other. They had like a competition. And Mary Shelley had, by some accounts... A dream by some awaking dream about the idea of someone creating a human out of body parts. And I've always loved this whole idea that both the Frankenstein story and the first modern vampire story happened in like one night, literally. So anyway, all that is just to say that uh, Mary Shelley came up with the idea. She wrote the novel, first published anonymously and then under her name. But I was so excited to talk about this creation story. And then when I sat down to watch Bride of Frankenstein, 1935, the movie opens on this very, well, kind of on a, on a later night after yeah. they're discussing. Well, after. It's like it's sometime after Frankenstein had been published. Right. And they're listening to the storm. Yeah. And then they, they just start talking about like, oh, look at her over there. A dainty woman, but capable of such horrors, which I will now recap. By letting the audience know what happened in the first movie. Exactly. So she says, would you like to know how it, you know, the story continued? And they're like, oh, yes, of course. I was so excited to talk about this foundation story with you. And I was like, oh, well, they show it in Pride of Frankenstein. I'm either going to give you like a banal fact, which you're like, duh, I know. Or I'm going to blow your mind. Go ahead. But the actress playing Mary Shelley was Ilsa Lanchester. Who would, at the end of the film, play the bride. And I didn't know this until I was reading about the film after I watched it. So, did you look much into factoids and history about The Bride of Frankenstein, about the movie? I've done a little research. What have you found that's really uh, getting you going? Oh Well, one of the first things I noticed is that in the opening credits, you know, they list the bride as being played by question mark, question mark, question mark, which is exactly what they did to Karloff. For Frankenstein 1931 to Karloff, which... 
it's just fun, right? Yeah. But one of the things I love is that James Whale did not want to do this film. He thought it was just the story was played out. It was kind of done. Yeah. Anyway, he decided he wanted this movie to be a memorable hoot. And he did. Quote. <laughs> um, I think part of the way he did that was with Una O'Connor as Minnie, uh, who was uh, a little bit of comic relief in James Wales' is The Invisible Man. She like ran the inn where he stayed. Oh, really? And had like a great face when she was indignant about something. That's yeah. sort of like, well, I she's never. She's so like, broad. Oh. I mean, she's ridiculous. It's really, it's quite funny. I'm guessing this movie was... About as scary as it got in 1935, and she was the character who would sometimes speak right to the camera. Mm-hmm. Or, like, something kind of terrible would happen, you know, like a character would get killed, and then someone would tell her to shut up. Yeah, she's screaming to them, trying to warn them of the monster, and they're like, yeah, get out of here. And she's like, well, don't say I didn't warn you. Like, she's kind of this, like, angry, hilarious Greek chorus that's kind of running around trying to warn people and screaming and... Always popping up, too. Yeah. You see her at the burned down windmill, and then later it's like, oh, she works for the House of Frankenstein, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I didn't see her in the first one. I guess she was off in the other room, polishing the silver. I have created by my method a perfect human brain, already living but dormant. Everything is now ready for you and me to begin our supreme collaboration. So in addition of this movie is Dr. Pretorius, an invention of James Whale, I'm guessing. Yeah. The character of Dr. Frankenstein is almost like an addict. He's like a... Which, incidentally, Colin Clive was an alcoholic. They almost didn't bring him back for this film because of his problem, but they did. And he had broken his ankle mm-hmm. not long before shooting, so you'll notice most of his scenes he's in bed sitting or down, sitting yeah. down. So in bed is where we find him, just sort of recovering... This is directly after the events of the first film. Yeah, it's like later that night. Literally, yeah. And his wife is consoling him, and she's just trying to get him back. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. She's very pretty. Get get him back on a path of not trying to create life from animated corpses. Because it's abominable, you know. She she has quite a bit of exposition in her speaking to him about how wrong it is. And, you know, you shouldn't think of such things. Sure. And he's, you know, he's been not creating life for like 12 hours at this point. <laughs> so he's just kind of recovering in bed. And then who shows up? Dr. Pretorius. A mentor? Former professor, like many mad scientists, had disagreements with their university mm-hmm. and had to move on. He's got crazy white hair. And he's tall and gaunt and described as kind of queer. Yeah. He has been approaching the creation of life from like a different angle and believes that him and Dr. Frankenstein together could create life again, could make all of his ambitions from the first movie a reality. Mm -hmm. And he wants to start this off by creating a woman. It's his idea, which is so different from what I always kind of figured it was somehow the monster. That was the monster's idea? Frankenstein's monster wanted a mate. Well, in the book... It is Frankenstein's monster who wants the mate. And much of his terrorizing is to convince Mm -hmm. the doctor, build me a woman. And he and Victor. It's Victor. That confused me a bit. Okay. I didn't realize that they changed the name to Henry for the movies. Anyway, the monster and Frankenstein have this philosophical discussion about, in the book, benefits versus the drawbacks of creating someone for him, which they're not that concerned with in the movie. It's just like, we need to make him a mate. The monster's journey in this one is just looking for friendship. Yeah, it's kind of just and Frankenstein part two. Yeah, you know? and the uh, the rampage continues. Yeah. Which you and I both had seen young Frankenstein yeah. before seeing Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So we knew all about the hermit. Yeah. Who in young Frankenstein 
everything kind of goes wrong. But in Bride of Frankenstein it is so touching. Can I tell you, it made me cry. Mostly when men show up and recognize the monster and take him away. And But I feel so badly because the, the monster comes to this poor old blind hermit who befriends him. He's, I can't see, you can't speak. We'll be friends, I'll teach you to talk. Yeah. And he's so nice to him. Oh God, it kills me. Plus, you know, the monster, he's on his second movie of going somewhere getting turned down, going somewhere, accidentally killing someone, going somewhere else, getting chased with pitchforks. Yeah. He's now strung up. He's been running for two movies now. Yeah. And finally someone just goes, rest. Mm -hmm. Puts him in his bed, covers him with a blanket. You're going to make me cry now. It's so sad. I feel so bad for this guy. So once his new friend is taken away, he makes a second friend in Dr. Pretorius, who he runs into in a graveyard. And it's Pretorius who puts the idea in him. And he's like, hey, how about a woman? The monster's like, you know what? Good idea. Good. Woman. Wife. Friend. Right. He tells the monster to abduct Elizabeth to incentivize Henry Frankenstein, Henry Frankenstein to help Pretorius create the mate for Frankenstein. For the monster. And then once Henry Frankenstein gets going on, on the path of uh, creating life again... Goes back into the old lab, gets the old sparky engine started again. He's just committed. Yeah. And part like of an part of it's back on his drugs. Yeah. It started as a way to save his wife, but now he's just like, I will create life. Yeah. Again. Morbidly fascinated by the prospects. Yeah. Now you mentioned that Doctor Pretorius is a little uh, a bit queer. Well, he was described as such yeah. by many. Has been by many. Um. No, many. Many. The character of many. That that too. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and also by many feminist authors since. First of all, most horror films just really enrage the feminist community in a lot of ways because, I mean, think about it. Typically, you've got sure. naked ladies getting hacked to pieces by men. I mean, that's just the way it is. Women getting chased down, a lot of violence against women. And listen, I think a lot of times you can start finding readings of films that were never intended. Sure. Um, with that said, I just thought it was kind of interesting. First of all, I read somewhere that James Whale was openly gay, the director yes. of the film. And that Colin Clive and the man who played Pretorius, Ernest Thesiger. Was Clive gay? Uh, well, rumored to be gay or bisexual, one of the two. Okay, because I'm going to get into rumors in a little bit. Yeah, so a lot of feminist readings of, not just feminist, but academic readings of Bride of Frankenstein kind of look at the idea that you've kind of got this homosexual-tinged relationship between Frankenstein and Pretorius, and Pretorius is so fired up about two men being able to create, Mm -hmm. because ordinarily two men can't, right? It's a really strong reading. You have to really kind of put yourself in a place where you want to look into it and find these kinds of readings. I read this really intense article about Bride of Frankenstein and kind of how whenever two men are present and discussing or scheming, the woman in the situation is pushed out. Elizabeth is standing over Frankenstein's bed, nursing him back to health. Pretorius shows up. She's kicked out of the room. This kind of thing happens repeatedly throughout the movie. I mean, you know, it's kind of the idea of the woman as being displaced by men as always an ancillary character. and Although the end goal of everything they're doing is a woman. Right. The author of this article, I should reference her, Elizabeth Young, a gender studies author. Anyway, I think you can't help but at least think a little bit about that kind of thing. Anytime men, as, and as you said, it's always men creating women. 
Yeah. Always. Well, there's. I can't think of any movies where a woman creates a man either. Nope. You know, well, you are uh, the gender that has a womb. I... You really don't need to go uh, messing about in laboratories if you yeah. want to uh, get a life going. Right. To get back to kind of the fun of the movie, let's talk about the bride herself, which yes. actually doesn't appear until like six minutes before the end of the movie. Yes. <laughs> which I didn't expect either. I expected it to be more... She's not really a central character in the film, which I kind of thought she would be. Yeah, well, especially for as much as she has become an icon in later years. Right. So for as little time as she had in, on screen, it was quite potent. Uh, it's pervaded. Like, everyone knows what she looks like. Yeah. Everyone. The Bride of Frankenstein. Elsa Lanchester. When she played Mary Shelley, I wrote down she looked like Ferruja Balk. Totally. She had I think that, it's the teeth. She has very pointed features. Yes. And there's sort of something going on behind those eyes. Yeah. She's very powerful as Mary Shelley. Yeah. And as such, all she does is needlepoint, mm-hmm. prick herself, and start to tell a story. Right. As that she assures everyone is all about morality, yeah. despite how gruesome it is. As the bride, first, just her eyes. Mm-hmm. These big eyes, which I heard were taped open. Really? She was bandaged up by the studio nurse, put her all in bandages. So you just saw a picture of her drinking tea? I did. I've seen that picture before. It's a great photo. And there's a lot of pictures behind the scenes because there were so many English people working on the Frankenstein films mm-hmm. of like Karloff in full Frankenstein gear, but with like a biscuit and a cup of tea. <laughs> and they're really great behind the scenes photos. But Lanchester says that, by and large, she tried to avoid liquids because she couldn't go to the bathroom by herself. Oh, boy. Right. Yeah. When they undo the bandages, they put, like, a flowing smock on her, which resembles a bridal gown. beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. And her hair, they say, which is the most iconic part. Absolutely. They modeled after uh, pictures of Nefertiti. And it's held up by wires. Yeah. It's her own hair. It's not a wig. And then just sort of brushed up over it. And then the lightning-ish streaks were added afterwards. Really cool. She does little jerky movements as yes. like, a, like a foal just kind of walking for the first time. Mm-hmm. And besides that, it screams and hisses. The hisses inspired by swans. I read that. And then as soon as I read it, said Elsa Lanchester modeled the hissing of... The bride after the hissing of swans. And I was like, the hissing of what now? So I immediately YouTubed swans hissing, swans which hissing. by the way, there are tons of videos. Have you heard this before? It's I've been, terrifying. I've been hissed at by geese. Swans are absolutely, they will fill you. I don't want to cross a swan. Okay. They will fill you with terror. The, the hiss, please go look up swans hissing on YouTube. It will give you nightmares. They're so scary. Don't tell my mother I'm living in sin. Don't let the old folks know. Don't tell my twin that I breakfast on gin. Elsa Lanchester. I thought it'd be nice to find out a little something about her life. and like, Please, tell me things. Well, here's the thing. It's all kind of muddy and veiled in rumors that have started over time. Mostly because she was a bohemian, in, as bohemians were in, in that era. And when she chose someone to marry, it was Charles Lawton, who was a totally gay guy. Oh, boy. And because of her association with him, when you try to look her up, it's like, was she a secret lesbian? And then I read her autobiography, which is like, no, she had many lovers of her own who were men. And so did Charles. And they just lived happily together, as as happily as any couple. Kind of a companionate Yeah. And and usually those marriages kind of blow up. 
and Hollywood so, history is full of them. Make it work, though. Yeah. They stayed together until his death. Until they they both grew old together. Aww. Yeah. That's kind of sweet. Yeah, but has left behind kind of murky waters when you try to really look into how is she living. Which I went down such a rabbit hole of did she, didn't she, did he, didn't he. Mm-hmm. You can only come out of it with I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Doesn't matter. They look happy. I've stopped caring. Right. I'll just focus on her work. And Ilsa Lanchester continued to make movies for many years, some with Charles Lawton, some on her own, and in her later years would do sort of a G-rated Disney fair. I know she showed up in like a beach movie. Ha. I shall have to talk to you about the birds and the bees and the teenagers. And she showed up in one of my favorite Halloween go-to movies that I like to watch once a year. Oh. Disney's Blackbeard's Ghost. Oh, you've told me about this. She plays Miss Stowcroft, and we meet her as she's telling fortunes. And she's just got this sort of comical, dizzy, fortune-telling, over-the-top, great performance. Which, check it out, people. Apparently, I'll have to. Which lets me know that the verve with which she seemed to lead her life and perform her work as a young lady stayed with her through the years. That's great. There have been many, um, many movies to sort of take its cues from Bride of Frankenstein. I've got a few of them here that I went and watched. But one that seemed to start where Bride of Frankenstein left off in as many ways as it could was 1985's The Bride. Oh. The movie itself kind of gets bagged on a bit. I liked it. Okay. I watched it recently. I still like it. The Bride stars Sting and Jennifer Beals. And Sting plays Dr. Frankenstein. And they've got a guy who looks a lot like Dr. Pretorius, but he's got another name. And Clancy Brown, who was like the bad guy in the first Highlander movie. And he was like one of the prison guards in Shawshank. You know what I'm talking about? Nope. Clancy Brown. You've seen him a million times. I'm sure I have. Through the years. And once you realize it's been the same guy over and over, you'll lose your mind. (laughs) He plays Frankenstein's monster, who is not quite as monstrous, but he's got like the scars and he's really big and he's really slow to speak. And he knows that he's getting a mate. And probably the best part about all of these Frankenstein and Frankenstein-ish movies is the lightning storm creation scene. Yeah. Which the book, Frankenstein, just says, I don't want to let people know how I made life in case they want to imitate it. So I'm just going to leave it out of my journal. It's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what? That's the best part. (laughs) It's true. Boo, rip off. Yeah. So point movies over the book. And then every movie since will not skimp on the laboratory. You can't. Lightning. It's alive. It's the best part. So that had a a pretty good one. And then after she comes out of um, death, she doesn't have like the scars under the jaw like Elsa Lanchester had. She's just Jennifer Beals. Oh, however, sexy lady. Yeah. However, he didn't quite get it right with making the first monster. He got it right with the second. Yeah. And then there's a little, you know, she's afraid of him. She's afraid of her. The monster. The monster. The monster gets a little despondent over it. Here's where it really parts, which is Dr. Frankenstein sort of steps in. You can kind of tell he kind of wants her for himself. Because uh, she came out pretty nice. Uh-huh. No time to explore that because then a fire starts and the whole laboratory goes up and then the monster runs for it. Oh, instead of killing himself. And yeah. Oh, because a fire just breaks out. Yeah, the fire yeah, just breaks out it. during a fight. Okay, so now you've got two stories. One, the monster's sort of back on the run. Uh-huh. 
And the other is Sting, as Dr. Frankenstein, decides to make this woman into, like, a woman equal to man. What? What? What is this abomination of, of which you speak? And sort of, like, Pygmalion her. Uh-huh. It starts off slow. First, she's kind of wandering around the castle naked. Of course. Yeah, because she's brand new. Yeah. And then, you know, she can speak a little bit, and he tells her words for things and there's like a scene where they're like at the dinner table and before she can eat the chicken she's got to say it ah and then she gets smarter and smarter more sophisticated which is what he wanted but But. well here's the thing and this gets explored in most of the knockoffs which is once you create a woman and this was in in bride of frankenstein too let's say you can create a woman to your your specs you know comes out looking just like on the blueprint you can't make her love you Right. And that's where things go south. Yeah. Usually. Or, you know, you created a woman who is her own woman. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got her own ideas and opinions on things. And you're like, but I created you. It's like, well, tough. Yeah. You created a woman and that's what you get. Which is kind of what I expected more from Bride of Frankenstein, which, like you said, it touches on it. I mean, she's created, she becomes aware, she looks at the monster, she realizes she's intended for him, and she's horrified. But you only get a couple seconds of that before everything just gets blown up, literally. Yeah. But it sounds like with this, you get a little more of the flavor of what I think this whole podcast is really about. And what feminists hate about horror movies, which is, in a lot of ways, the female as being objectified. You know, the idea of a man creating a woman to use any way he pleases. And we all know where that goes. Yeah. What, why why Which, else would a man want to create a woman out of nothing so he can do with her what he pleases, right? Yeah, well, I mean, and despite best intentions, Sting has these very lofty ideas. Sure. Of like, you know, she will hold court and men will respect her as they will other men. Which is great. But he's got this kind of a flouncy friend who never shows him with a snuff box, but he's the kind of guy who would, <laughs> who's like, my dear Charles, he's Charles Frankenstein in this. Like, oh, okay. What about what always gets in the way between men and women? And he's like, that's not going to get in the way. I've got a noble pursuit here. It gets in the way. Of course, that's going to be the uh, happy side effect. The man hopes is that he'll be able to use her for all purposes. Well, he introduces her to society now that she's like my fair lady. Mm-hmm. Nice, funny moment. He teaches her all of about Shakespeare and things like that, but he doesn't tell her about cats. So she Uh-oh. sees a cat and freaks out. And he's like, why did you do that? And she goes, you didn't tell me about cats. I thought it was a tiny lion. Oh, my God. Womp, That's womp. really funny. <laughs> and at the same party, though, she falls for a pre-Princess Bride, Carrie Elways. <gasps> like you th- oh, my gosh. What a baby face he must have had. Dashing. I love him. Dashing. He's really cute. Even when he's sawing off his own foot. So that becomes the trouble in paradise. Got it. She falls in love. Uh, or just in like. Or in like, and, but not with Frankenstein. Yeah, and, and he's having none of that. Okay, meanwhile, the monster is going off on his own Got adventures. It. The next day, he befriends a dwarf. Oh. Played by one of the Time Bandits alum, David Rappaport, who plays Ronaldo. And Ronaldo and he become pretty quick friends. So... He's going off to join the circus, and he's like, plenty of work for a man of your size. Freak like you. So they get into little mini adventures. He takes him to a bar, gets mini him drunk. Mini adventures, Marshall? Wonk. Hee hee. Um, he gets him drunk? Drink. Gets him Good. drunk, and they go to the circus, and he's got himself a friend. It's like it's like his version of the blind hermit. Uh-huh. He's got himself a little person friend. They join the circus. The owner of the circus doesn't really like him because he's a little bossy, but he's got this trapeze act. 
someone... Don't tell me they put the monster on the trapeze. No, no, no. The dwarf has a trapeze act. Oh, okay. Phew. And the monster, who is named Victor, by the way. Oh, interesting. The dwarf names him. confusing compared to, yeah, when you think about the book. Go on. Yeah. The dwarf names him Victor. So he's uh, he's pretty good at setting up tents, and then he runs in during one of the shows, and he thinks that his little friend is going to fall. Oh, no. And he doesn't understand? He doesn't understand. Uh-oh. But then they make him part of the show, so they make him wear a dress. This just gets and, better and better. Yeah. Well, up until someone sabotages the act, and Ronaldo falls to his death. Oh, God. Now, I don't think I ever actually saw Bambi all the way through. Oh, I have. So I never had that, like... Didn't you cry when Bambi's mom died? Oh, I did, yeah. My Bambi's mom is the death of Ronaldo. Oh, no. Because he's, well, it's as sad as you think it would be. Right. He's his only friend. He's been so nice. And yeah. You don't, I'm sure you don't see it coming. You, you do, actually. Oh. Because, uh, you know, the guy tampered with the equipment. But, I mean, not immediately. I just mean, like, before that. You're like, oh, he made a friend. Like, yeah. you wouldn't imagine that eventually the guy's going to. No, well, no. I guess you kind of would if you'd oh. seen Bride of Frankenstein. Well, if you're young, it's friends forever. This came out in 85, so I saw it in 86 as, as a young man. Well, or a little Marshall. A youngin'. And I, I did not think that was where things would head with Frankenstein. Aww. My heart just breaks for that damn monster. And after that, rampage. Oh, yeah. Brrr. Which then, then fleeing and then bad times catch up to him. But he works his way back to the bride with whom he's had a psychic connection with. And things are kind of getting worse for him on the road. And getting worse for her in the castle. Oh. Between her and the doctor. And eventually. How deep is this psychic connection? Like, are they just feeling each other's pain? Like, she spins around and he gets dizzy. Got it. So, eventually, he's got to go back. You know, a little smarter. More savvy. Knows how things work a little more. And, uh, Do they end up together? Yes. But, yeah, they're kind of two of a kind. Sure. Yeah, things, uh, things seem to end well for the monster and his mate. So, what about the uh, whole sexual thing? Oh. Mm. That's... Unresolved. It's, you know, when two people are, you know, when, when, when you have two bodies that are sewn together, they're going to be certain pieces. pieces. You make compromises. Well, pieces don't fit sometimes, and, and you got to just, you know, but you know what the funny thing is? It, it works. It works. You, you, you figure out a way to make it work. Absolutely. I'd like to take us back to 1962 to talk about the brain that wouldn't die. Okay. I actually ended up watching this because it was something that I asked my mother what movie scared her when she was a kid, and that was the movie. It just horrified her, which I can totally see. If you're a kid and you're seeing a woman's head on a slab, kind of like saying, please let me die, that would be really traumatizing. It kind of was for me. This falls even more in line with the concept of a man creating a woman and there being... Ultimately, it stems from a place of love because it was his fiance. But then it kind of heads toward, well, if I've got to find a body for her, at least it can be a real sexy body. So anyway, the brief. Did, did you get the impression that he was trying to uh, improve? Um, get, get a little something extra? Well, he certainly isn't deterred when someone tells him that someone has the most beautiful body she's ever seen. And he's like, hmm, interesting. The most beautiful body. That'll huh? do. Right. But anyway, just very briefly, the story is about a young surgeon who is doing these experiments in his country home, trying to animate dead flesh and the like. And he has a fiance who works at their surgical practice who doesn't really know exactly what he's doing out there, but they love each other. There's a moment in the beginning of the film where he gives her a smooch and she says, oh, when you kiss me, I just lose my head, which I think is hilarious. They're driving out to his country home. She, he's finally going to show her his what he's been doing out there, kind of. He's driving like a maniac 
wrecks the car. Her head gets lopped off. None of which you really see, but you it's implied. Yeah. He wraps it up in a coat, runs the rest of the way to his house, which is really gruesome. Gets there where his Igor-like assistant, except he's just kind of like an old man, is there. And he informs him, you know, what happened and that they need to find a body. So they, they keep her head alive, connected to all kinds of juices. The bottom of her neck is like sitting in a lab with like juices in it. like Now, syrups. at this point, the head becomes aware. It's not just... Yeah, she kind of gradually... It's not just hanging out. No, she kind of gradually wakes up, and she's very angry. And she feels she's the most grotesque thing that has ever been. And she's miserable, and she wants her fiancé to die. She hates him for doing this to her. She's mm-hmm. like, please, I just want to be dead. And meanwhile, he's like, you'll change your mind once I give you a rockin' body. He goes to a, a hot body contest, basically. Like, he's in the process of trying to pick up a woman on the street to murder, to get, take her body. And it turns out the woman he picks up, he actually knows... And she's like, can you drop me off? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, God. She tells him that they're going to a Miss Body Beautiful contest. And he's like, maybe that could be useful. All this is after he's first been to, like, a strip club and that didn't work out. And then he goes to the Miss Body Beautiful contest and looks at all these women in these bathing suits. It's hilarious. Meanwhile, the side story is that the woman on the slab... Actually, what I love is that Virginia Leaf, who played Jan, who's the fiancé, mm. she's also credited on IMDb. The character is called Jan Compton slash Jan in the Pan, which I think is really funny. That's delightful. But she's developing all these telekinetic powers. Not telekinetic, more like telepathic. Okay. Um, she can communicate with this monster that was an initial creation of her fiancé that went wrong. And he's behind a door. But it's all kind of to say, this is a really great example of like wanting to create a woman who I don't think it initially was like he wanted to improve his fiance's body. I think he loved her just the way she was. Yeah. But now that he's got the opportunity, he's searching for a real sexy one. And he's like, she'll be so happy that I did this. And again, it's kind of, he thinks he knows what's best. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get you a body. We can be together again. And she's like, no, I don't like this. This is wrong. And she basically gets the monster behind the door to kill the assistant and then to kill the fiance and then he sets a fire and carries out the woman he's brought to chop off her head and use her body the monster does the monster yeah oh, nice. he does the monster carry you like so much where the woman <laughs> is draped beautifully over his arms um and he's pretty gruesome he kind of looks like sloth from goonies ah but yeah if you're looking for kind of campy fun i mean it is a little disturbing to see her head on a slab but it's 1962 yeah. so it's kind of sanitized a little or check out the mystery science theater take on it <laughs> Oh, I get it. It was a comedy. Always leave them laughing. (laughs) Do you want to refresh my memory about weird science? Because it's been a long time since I saw it. And I read the Wikipedia summary just to refresh my memory. Why, that's just like watching the movie. It reads like a 13-year-old boy wrote a bad treatment for a movie script. The things that happen in this movie when distilled down are so ridiculous i can almost not handle it it is ridiculous but that's a credit to the actors sure for keeping you caring about the characters and if you have that grounded it kind of grounded of that'll yeah that'll and keeping make it up fun it. and making it a couple of guys on a journey yeah who uh start as the school losers and then while watching bride of frankenstein one of them gets the idea let's create a female simulation on your computer now this took place when Computers were in some homes, but only of the very smart. So the viewing audience didn't know what a computer was really capable of. It was just science. Yeah. So you could just say, like, 
Well, how'd they do that? With a computer. Right. Which, don't they, like, hook it up to a Barbie doll? They do a few other things. They feed in to, like, you don't even know what it is. They just give it, like, a slot and buttons and something blinks on it. That's all you need. And you're like... boop, beep, boop noises. Yeah, well, they probably sell this at Radio Shack. I don't know. No, I'm not an egghead. I don't have a computer. But they, they would just feed in... They opened up a trunk of, like, Playboys. Which, by the way, John Hughes, isn't that where the brother in Home Alone kept his Playboys? In a trunk. In a trunk. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that John Hughes, after his passing, yeah. if someone were to go through all this stuff, <laughs> they were like, what's in this trunk? I don't know. Probably it's locked. nothing but Playboys. Probably a lot of like 70s, 80s Playboys. <laughs> so they just like cut out the parts that they want and just feed it into this whatever machine or just a slot like... Is that where the floppies go? It's an information slot. Yeah. It's a computer machine. Yeah, that goes boop, 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 boop. Yeah. <laughs> Anything they want her to be like. They want her to be like Einstein. They just put in a picture of Einstein. It's kind of like Wonka science. So what they're watching is actually colorized versions of Frankenstein when they get the idea. And then they just kind of keep the TV on as they go through this creation of a woman involving bras on their heads. Yeah. And the, uh, the Barbie doll. So when... Lisa shows up. What would you little maniacs like to do first? On the TV is a colorized version of Bride of Frankenstein going, and she's alive, alive. So you got to figure that they watched most of like Frankenstein and then Bride of Frankenstein came on. So this whole process took about three hours with commercials. <laughs> That's timing it like really that. Really creative math you just did. So yeah, four hours later, they've got themselves a woman. What do you do with the woman? Doesn't she shower and say something like, isn't showering wonderful? And bless their hearts, they're standing there with their With, with, with their on jeans or... on. Yeah. Because yeah. they're too terrified to do anything with her, which I think is, they're just like little frightened lambs. Yeah. So the rest of the movie poses the question. It's like, what do you do once you've got her? And now that you've created a woman, what's she going to do? Because you can't control her. She's smart. She's magical. And she decides the best thing to do is... Put them outside their comfort zones and give them what they wanted. Or not what they wanted, but what in the end they needed. It all leads to the big party, which she has the two guys who never go to parties. Now she has the party come to their house. It's their party. And Bill Paxton plays an older brother. Older brother Chet. Oh, God. And three-time alum for appearing in movies discussed by us, Robert Russler. Good old Robert Russler, who played the sidekick in Freddy's Revenge. And then he played one of the dudes in Vamp. Yep. And now he's back again in our topic as part of the bully duo, which was him and, and Robert. A young Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, totally. Baby faces all. To just kind of be show-offs, Gary and Wyatt decide to make them a woman for them, <laughs> which goes wrong and instead just creates a nuclear missile. Right. If you thought the party in 16 Candles was crazy. I uh, did. Wait until you add crazy magic because when they're trying to create the second woman, the kitchen turns blue and a guy gets sucked into the tv all the furniture in the room gets thrown out the uh up the chimney this is like some weird science it is indeed <laughs> and lisa decides to throw him another like curveball by creating the mutant bikers and having them crash the party including aforementioned michael berryman oh and then they got one of those guys from the road warrior to come in and pretty much your worst nightmare as a young man which is call you out for everything in front of your friends for her to have so it's like yeah these guys are dangerous one of them's like a cyborg they've got guns but instead of setting the place on fire or whatever guys like that would do 
they just call out the boys on like all their dorkiness. Like, you can't take a shower with a beautiful woman without taking your jeans off. (laughs) So, in your opinion, Mm. do you feel like this movie subverts the concept of creating a woman for your subjective purposes? Kind of that, like, once they've created her, they made her smart, and then she runs the show? Or do you think it's still kind of... I think it's, it's just the same problem with upped stakes. Yeah. Which is, you got what you wanted. You created the woman. Now, what that actually means is, oh, she's got her own opinions and ideas of ways to run things. Mm-hmm. And if you created a strong woman, well, you've got a strong woman on your hands. Yeah. And here's what you get. I can be a real serious bitch if I don't get what I want. While out to find more movies that have men creating a woman and the consequences of that. Two movies, both in 1990. The sequel to Reanimator, Bride of Reanimator. Oh! And Frankenhooker. Oh my word. Now, they're both kind of fun in their own ways, but Frankenhooker is the funner of the two. As the name would imply. Yeah. Like, you know what you're going to get when you see the poster box cover for Frankenhooker. You're like, oh, this is kind of a romp. Yeah. Whereas Bride of Reanimator... Is not as dark as Reanimator, but they took what they could achieve with the first one. They got more of a budget, and they said, like, let's get a little goofy. Kind of like the disparity between Texas Chainsaw 1 and 2, mm-hmm. where they're like, we've got some money now. We can make it darker, or we can make it goofier. <laughs> and they went, like, a goofier path. Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead 2. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Gremlins 1, Gremlins 2. There you go. So in Bride of Reanimator, it's the two characters from the first one. One sort of... He's made so many sacrifices in the name of trying to reanimate the dead that if he doesn't at this point, it will all be for naught. His girlfriend dies at the end of the first one. Mm -hmm. They've still got her heart, though. And the other guy, he's got a few screws loose. He convinces the other one to continue with the reanimation experiments by saying, like, if we can build out from her heart, I can give you your Megan back. Oh, Thus starts, you know, they steal a corpse. But meanwhile, there's a severed head of an evil doctor from the first one. He's back. As a severed head. Fun. There's some reanimated just body parts. There's a cop whose wife got reanimated at the end of the first one. And there's like two other reanimated folks who have been in a mental institution. Really, it's kind of a movie that just builds and builds and builds with all these sort of side things. All centered around one thing, which is the bride, which is being built. And then they all sort of become a problem at the same time. Uh Uh-oh. Mayhem. The doctor that was just a head. Now he's got bat wings on the side of his head what his severed head can fly oh my goodness all the little experiments that were kind of like icky comic relief from before all now come back at once it's that when it rains it pours yeah and so by the end of this movie it pours and what happens at the same time is the bride of reanimator gets reanimated and you get what you expect which is a kind of a gross macabre romp but you also get some really good special effects Mm -hmm. like while they're reanimating the bride you would think that that's kind of how it would work if you were to try to sew together a woman from different Uh parts because there's all these like wires you know sort of suspending things and there's like tubes going from one to the other and you know it's like the heart's beating and then it just looks great when it's on the slab and it continues to look great when it gets reanimated she's kind of not completely complete, which makes you wonder why they animated her at the time. And the lesson in there is less like what happens when you get the woman back, but rather what happens when you try to replace someone you've lost. To apply to 
regular life, you can't turn a present love into your ex. Right. You've got to deal with the person who you've got as the person that they are. Even if you did create them and give them the heart of your ex. Sure. They're still their own person and not the person you want them to this be. This is just the problem that you keep coming back to yeah. with every story, which is... There are a lot of things you can do with magic and with alchemy and science and whatever, no matter how magical it is. But, like, the bottom line is you can't make someone love you. You can't make someone into something they aren't. You may have created it, but ultimately if it's a living thing, it's going to have some autonomy and it's going to make decisions you don't like. Yeah. Especially when it comes to love. In 1931, the world was horrified by the motion picture Frankenstein. In 1990, the makers of Basket Case and Brain Damage bring you ah! Frankenhooker. All right, Marshall, tell me about Frankenhooker. Well, Frankenhooker was directed by the same guy who brought us Basket Case. Which reminds me, by the way, side note, the actor Jason Evers, who plays the doctor in The Brain That Wouldn't Die, his yeah. last film was 1990's Basket Case 2. Little tie-in there for Awesome. You. Well, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Frank Hennenlotter mm-hmm. is, in addition to a filmmaker, just a big fan. He's a big fan of schlock and B-movies, and his own efforts into this category really shows. Yeah. So Frankenhooker is... Another movie where you got a semi-mad scientist and his fiance dies, which you might notice no one's bringing back wives. Huh. Interesting. Because right? they all die when they're unfianced for some reason. Yeah. And for some reason... Remind me not to get engaged to a mad scientist. Check. Okay. And maybe it's because you think once a guy is married that like he'll settle down to the point that he won't be running around... Being mad. Being mad. Mm-hmm. Or maybe once he's got some kids, if marriage leads to kids then he won't be left so alone or the idea of creation won't be... He's already this, uh, created. Yeah. He won't, has it, spawn. It won't be this big un- unobtainable thing. He would have already gotten his yayas out. <laughs> or maybe it was just sort of done once, like it was done in Frankenstein, and then all those scents are just emulating Frankenstein. Sure. But I would like to note, yeah, it's... It's always fiancés. It's fiancés. Astute observation. All right. So in this one, you've got the guy who, like, he was in medical school, but... Not anymore, but he still continues to do like weird experiments in his garage. And then he invents a remote control lawnmower for his dad's birthday. And his fiance, who's supposed to be fat, they have to actually say that she's supposed to be overweight for me to understand that she is because it's a skinny actress. Oh boy. In like a fat suit, but not her head. So it's like, it just looks like a skinny woman in a big dress. But I understand like, oh, she's eating a lot of pretzels. Therefore, she's supposed to be overweight. Why didn't they just get a large woman? Because they will be sewing her oh. head oh. onto a Frankenhooker body. Got it. Unfortunately, the remote control lawnmower costs her her life. Ooh. The guy keeps the head. He goes a little crazy-er and decides to bring her back via science. What more do you need to say? Meanwhile, he is just daffy grotesque fun he gives himself lobotomy tiny lobotomies to chill himself out he'll, he'll actually oh my like God. he'll pick a part of the brain and then drill into it his so, own, into his own head into his own head so he can think more clearly <sighs> so he's like oh, hookers oh my god which you know he was leading toward because the movie's called frankenhooker Franken you're just waiting on him to get there so he's got to go into the world of hookers and pimps in order to like find the right one he goes into the city you know jersey to new york and pays to have like a beauty contest with all these prostitutes where he like measures parts of them and he's like he got that instrument i don't know what it's called but it looks like ice tongs uh forceps 
Just for measuring things. Oh, for measuring. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. So he's got one of those. and You should look up the name of it. It's kind of this fun montage where these prostitutes are just sort of tolerating him while he goes around from one to the next. Measuring. And he, he like makes it like a check mark on one of their butts. Oh, And boy. it's like, this one's good and good legs here. And he's like, I can't decide. I can't decide. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, he's created something called Super Crack, which, because they're all, they're all crackhead prostitutes. In that window of time between crack addiction and looking like they're crack whores. So they're still hot. They've all just taken that first step. So he decides in order to anesthetize them, he will create a super crack that'll just knock out their lights. They find it in his bag and they all start smoking it like a room full and it it makes them blow up. So then you've got, you can tell it's mannequins, but it's cut really well. And so you've got all these just blowing up prostitutes. Oh my God. It's wacko fun. I want to apologize to everybody here, please. I'm going to put everybody back together. I promise you. Well, first thing, I got to put Elizabeth back together because that's that's the whole point of this. And then I'm going to take care of everybody. I'm going to get to everybody. So his dead fiance's uh, head goes on to the body of various prostitutes. The addition that Frankenhooker gives to the creation scene is she comes off the slab standing up. Okay. Like he raises her up, lightning. She comes down. He pulls the sheet off of her, and she's already standing. All right. They don't have to help her up. Yeah, there's no helping her up. Is she wrapped in anything? No. She's kind of got hooker clothes on because he goes, oh, oh, by the way, um, she's Elizabeth Shelley. Oh. And he's Jeffrey Franken. That's fun. So now she's out of the fat suit. The actress was a former penthouse pet. Patty Mullen. Patty Mullen has, I've, I've watched interviews with her. She's got just a great New Jersey accent. And she uses that when she comes off the slab to be like, Want a date? Going out? Looking for some action? Need some company? No, wait, wait, huh? It's, it's Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Got any money? Money? No, I don't, I don't have any money. And she's got these, these great platform shoes, which are kind of like Frankenstein shoes, but kind of hooker shoes oh, at the same time. Oh, clever. So she's got these jerky movements, and she's got like her arm is a different race, like her forearm. Uh, is uh, kind of brown and she's still got a check mark on her butt so oh you know where, where that came from and she just kind of like pushes him aside and bursts through the garage door and just goes out into the night now she's in the city being like want a party and she's got this weird face where her lips go like <laughs> different ways and that's just kind of fun when someone's like uh no thanks she'll just push him aside like Rawr! and she's strong and people go flying got any money <laughs> She does pick up one very eager John, like, like an old sort of doughy fellow, who gets electrocuted by her and like he blows up. Oh boy. Because uh, that's what happens when you have a Frankenhooker. Right. Things develop. She does get her own Elizabeth memory back eventually, but just in time for all of the extra parts, woman parts, which earlier there was like a platter of just breasts and he had to match them because oh my God. they'd all blown they'd up. All blown off. So he was trying to find a left and a right. That matched. Oh just my god! Body fun. Yeah. All the sort of spare parts were all in an ice cooler and got zapped by the lightning too, oh. and now they are their own mini boobed monster. Oh my god! Who takes a? You know, I'll, I'll follow this one all the way to the end. Uh, spoiler alert, guys! Frankenhooker's going to the end. Uh oh. The pimp named Zoro shows up and chops off Jeffrey's head, and then the mini boobed hooker monster kind of takes him and grabs him and like into the ice box. And then Jeffrey wakes up. He has been reanimated. But what they had was... Is he a Frankenpimp? Nope. <laughs> He's got the body of a woman. Oh, my God. It was Elizabeth that brought him back uh, using his stuff. 
but gave him a woman's body. No! Frankenhooker, everybody. <sighs> That's amazing. Now, Kat, if you want to watch this, uh, listening audience, if you want to watch this, I watched it in its entirety on YouTube. Amazing. The whole movie is just there, waiting to be enjoyed. I can't wait to see all these boobs. Oh, no shortage of boobs. <laughs> Not always on bodies, but uh, they are pregnant. That's where I'm more interested, actually, to see boobs independent of their bodies. So, in summary, you know, Dr. Frankenstein got his bride, didn't come out like he wanted, and the mon- didn't come out like the monster wanted. Stings, Charles Frankenstein, he got his bride, but far too opinionated right. for his liking, and far too not into him for his liking. Just as Bride of Reanimator was not a reanimated fiance. It was just kind of this poor substitute. And yeah. I guess he had to go all the way through to the other end to figure that out. And Frankenhooker, well, he kind of got his fiance back. But at what price? If you go back to Mary Shelley's inception of her idea, her whole point was a morality story. A story about how you shouldn't be tampering with what God has created because it's immoral, it's wrong, and it will end badly. So all of these stories, including Frankenhooker, kind of perpetuate Mary Shelley's morality story, if you really think about it. And I have. Yeah. And I hope you did too, folks. (laughs) That really wraps us up. If you've got thoughts of your own about uh, creating a woman or anything at all, you can contact us at boysandghouls at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. Kat, how's that uh, YouTube channel going? Good. Got one video up so far. Got ideas. Keep following us on YouTube. It's Boys and Ghouls Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And we got a Pinterest stuff going on all the time too, right? If you're one of those folks on Pinterest, so are we. So check us out. Yeah, we're kind of everywhere on the internet still. Everywhere that's free. Yeah. And our main podcast website is boysandghouls.podbean.com. So check us out there or even better, subscribe to us on iTunes. Absolutely. All right. And um, you can also check Kat out. Kat, you... uh... Oh, boy. Yeah. If anybody has Playboy TV, I recently did a little voiceover work for that fine company. I don't know the name of the program that I did the work on, but suffice it to say... If you're watching Playboy TV and hear a familiar voice... Yeah, it's probably me. Now, this is the first time we've talked since you've done it. You uh, you texted me photos from the lobby. Yeah. Which was uh, interesting. Right down the street from where we are right now, actually. Not too far away. It's on Empire Boulevard. So what were you called upon to do? I was doing kind of an overlay telling a story that they already had footage for. So kind of they had footage of girls romping on the beach, doing other things. I won't um, go too far into it. But basically my voice will be the voice over that. Kind of was like if I'm telling a story about a time my friends and I went to the beach and had really fun time it's my voice over that um describing the scene and a couple other scenes as well i'll All tell right. you more off off air. oh my goodness um <laughs> well so this might get us a couple emails if anybody recognizes yeah. her <laughs> i don't know the name of the program exactly but so so your participation they put you in a, like a sound booth yeah I was in a, a little really, more high tech than what we've got here going most, on. Most certainly, definitely. <laughs> um, I was in a very cold, very professional sound booth, working with very professional people who were in the other room. Thank God. Um, you didn't want to have any eye contact by a window. Yeah, it would have been. It was. Uh, let's just say they want to provide very scintillating content to their <laughs> viewers. But everybody there was really nice. The offices were beautiful. Yep. It okay. was an experience, well, but uh, keep a listen out. If you have Playboy TV, my voice might be coming over your sound waves. All right. So you can find a cat on Playboy TV, and uh, you can just email me. Yeah. 
And Kat, as always... Beware the moon. Beware the cat.